Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Danielle Crystal, and today I'm speaking with Loredana Andagarchu, a Hulu Originals Drama Development Assistant. Loredana, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So you graduated from NYU in 2020, big year. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about your journey as a student and what positions you've had since graduating from NYU? Yeah, my journey as a student was a bit rocky, actually. I mean, I started completely undecided in 2016 and decided to go to CAS because it was the biggest school at NYU, thinking, of course, like, I'll find something then, and did, like, this little exercise of copying all the degrees into a Word document and deleting the ones I didn't want and got a blank document at the end of it. So I decided I had to transfer and went over to Steinhardt my freshman year, Moonlight and then Get Out came out. And that's like those two were the pivotal moments, I think, in entertainment that made me realize, okay, whoa, there's a lot going on and I want to be a part of it. And then, like you mentioned, I mean, graduating in 2020 was very tough. And at the top of the pandemic, the entire world was on pause, the industry was shut down. So I went into freelance work in the doc space and did that for several months and then ended up going full time in digital distribution and indie spaces and then eventually made the jump over to a more creative space and also in television with my current role now. So it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, I'd say. Yeah, sounds like it. I feel like that is a very common experience for a lot of people, as is freelancing, right? Very mm-hmm. common for people trying to break into film and TV production. Do you have any advice for anyone who is looking to take this route? Yeah, so I fell into freelancing due to the pandemic. And I think that the biggest con with freelancing is very well known. Like everyone talks about the lack of stability or, or just a guaranteed job. But I thought that it had a lot of benefits that I didn't really have acknowledged prior to starting. I mean, for one, it felt a lot more personal and a little less formal, like it had a bit of a snowball effect. It took me several weeks to get my first gig, but then that small job was supposed to be three days and ended up growing to like three months on a project. And I was pretty close with one of the producers after working with her and followed her to her next project. So that lack of structure really just gave me a greater, a greater flexibility and I got to learn so much more. You know, it was like a crash course. Even I was just hopping around and seeing different types of programming and met a lot of really, really, really cool people in such a short period of time. So I think that's one thing that if you are excited to have teams all over the world or cross paths with people who you might not ever meet, freelancing could be something to look at. It's a sacrifice of give and take, but I've seen it have really great growth potential for a lot of people, especially because the projects are so short term. Even though I fell into it like without a choice, I thought it was a great transition, ended up being really helpful for me between school to full time. And if you're unsure about entertainment or if you're not sure what it is about entertainment that you'd like, it's great to kind of get a taste of the industry without having like the full commitment of a nine to five job. So I think that it it works for some people. 
Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it was very successful for you. So what was it that made you decide to, you know, transition into a full-time job and, and how'd you go about making this transition? Yeah. So I really wanted to be a part of a company to see it from the studio or the network side to really get a glimpse of like the entire beast of the entertainment industry from the inside. Freelancing, I would say, is kind of like peeking through a lot of different windows or doors, but I wanted to open it up and walk in and see several projects at once and how they kind of come together to form a brand. And that was a really big learning experience for me. The stability also of a full-time job helped me move to Los Angeles. I was on the East Coast before, and now that move has shifted my perspective on the industry as a whole. The transition was pretty sharp and there was definitely a learning curve, but that's one of the good things about being like an entry-level employee is that everybody knows that you're entry-level. And I felt really supported by the other people at my level. And at the end of the day, I transitioned into a role at a job that I didn't know a lot about. So I was learning, but we were all learning about digital consumption. And in the pandemic, we were seeing all types of growth. So it was an exciting time to grow with a company and also see if we could be in our own little ocean and learn how to learn how to swim together. Awesome. So now you're at Hulu. Can you tell us a little bit about a day in the life there? Yeah, of course. So yes, I'm an assistant in Hulu drama. So like any other assistant in entertainment, I work coordinating for executives on the team and helping them stay on top of their shows across currents and development. One thing that we do that's really exciting is that we get to stay with the show from its like inception as a pitch or IP material through its development and production into its release. And so we're structured in a way that you get to really see like the life cycle of each project from the macro and from the micro level. And so as somebody who's new to development, which obviously I'm, I'm new to everything, but very new to development, it's been really incredible to just learn about the creative process. And so I've been really excited to have that opportunity and it's, a lot of difference from learning about something in school and then seeing it take place. So it's been a great contextualization of all of the years that I spent studying. How has networking played a part in your career path? And do you have any advice to give on how to network effectively? Yeah, networking was a challenge, but it has been really vital to me. Like once I unlocked what that meant for me, I think that the word networking means so many different things to so many different people, but I tried to simplify it to just meaning hearing other people's stories so that it didn't seem like a massive enigma. I didn't grow up saying that I wanted to be in TV. I didn't even know that I wanted to be in it until like my second year of college. So there was so much that I didn't know. And I mean, there still is. And networking has really like helped me fill in those gaps in my own knowledge. Because outside of like the really flashy roles of writers and producers and directors and actors, I wasn't really sure what type of jobs there were in entertainment. So I got to learn, you know, like, where is a TV show born? Who makes what decisions? And ask those questions that I like maybe would have been afraid to ask with people who were my bosses. And I got to meet really cool people and hear their origin story. And that helped me just get a concrete understanding of the process, understanding that a bunch of people just really kind of stumbled into the work that they did. And it took a lot of the gray of the industry and made it black and white. So networking is something that I would say, try to find the definition for yourself 
And then once you do, try to find the way that it feels most comfortable or innate to you. So like for me, when I graduated in 2020, I couldn't meet people in person. I couldn't do anything in in real life. So I had to do it all over Zoom. So that was a huge transition and it was challenging. But then seeing the benefit of that was that like I could meet people in LA when I was still on the East Coast. I could talk to people in other parts of the world and hear what entertainment looked like for them without leaving my home. So trying to take the advantage of the situation, connecting with people who have a common thing is also easier. If you're a part of the NYU network, using that all the time, I was using that all the time, just messaging people. I mean, there are probably 500 people in the world who have a LinkedIn pending message from me from two years ago saying, hey, I went to NYU too. I'm also interested in this. Can we chat? So writing the note goes a long way, but mentioning that you're both in NYU helps make people aware of how you found them and also feel like they have something in common with you because they remember that time. And the last thing I'd say is that it can be flashier to reach out to people who are very high up in companies and it can be kind of an adrenaline rush to get their LinkedIn request. But reaching out to people who are lower on the ladder, like one to three years post-grad or a couple of years ahead of you, the assistants or coordinators can be the most beneficial in my experience. Having the COO as your LinkedIn friend really won't do a whole lot for you, especially if like the co-founder of a company never filled out an application or if, you know, the C-suite exec filled out a paper application that doesn't really apply to your experience. So the younger people or the people who are fresher in their roles will have more to say about interviewing, applications, transitioning, and what your job could look like in the coming months or years. So just trying to find the places and the people that will have the most applicable information for you instead of going for what you think could just look good on paper. I agree with everything that you're saying. I love it. So as you you mentioned, you know, looking at different job titles on LinkedIn and and probably some other places too, right? How did you decide what positions to apply for? And how did you work to stand out as a candidate, either in the application or in the interview process? Yeah, I like to look for things that I feel curious about or things that I feel like I have a lot to learn in. So with development, I didn't have a great understanding of what the day-to-day looked like, but it was something that intrigued me and I felt like was a more creative aspect. So I feel like entry-level positions are great for you getting that sort of exposure and also just getting an understanding of what you could do for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. In regards to standing out as a candidate, I think it's really important to solidify to yourself. Like if you're entry level, that's exactly what that means. You are entry level and it is okay to not have the experience. If you had the five, 10 year experience and you were looking at entry level roles, I would be a bit concerned. You know, it's, it's completely natural and it's supposed to be a role where you don't have that past. So instead of focusing on the lack of experience or the lack, the lack of job exposure, focusing on your future sharing what you want to do, where you want to go, and like who you want to take with you in your job interview could be a really important way for them to frame you and and your potential. And one thing I'd say specifically for the entertainment industry too is that, you know, we're not coders or surgeons or people who pass a board exam. There aren't metrics or standards that 
grade us comparing to our peers. So the soft skills are really important. And then lastly, I would just say that trying to see how your identity, your personality, and your differences can be assets, especially in film and TV. Like I personally felt a bit insecure about pursuing film and TV and not having studied it at Tisch or not having come from that background. But through the job interview process and trying to get people to hire me, I realized that that just meant that I looked at entertainment from a different lens, right? I studied MCC, media culture communication. So I framed that up to say like, that means I studied film and TV from like a social and a communal implication and a historical context and theory lens. And it's something that teaches you on how to, how to understand that all of your experiences are beneficial in this industry. I find that it's a very personal profession. And so if you're comfortable sharing more about yourself can always go the extra distance. And now a word from Sarah Rosenthal, manager of experiential learning programs at the Wasserman Center. There are many types of skills that employers look for when hiring. Typically, these are a combination of hard or technical skills, such as languages, specific computer skills, or hardware skills. And then there are soft skills, which are more variable and exist in different contexts and industries. When people talk about transferable skills, they're typically referring to those soft skills that you develop both in and out of the classroom, including in the workplace, through extracurriculars, and even volunteering. The NYU Violet Ready Skills are some of the top transferable skills employers seek in candidates for success beyond NYU. These 10 skills can be developed through a student's time at NYU and beyond, whether you're interning, doing a course project, participating in a club, or engaging with programs and resources at the Wasserman Center. The 10 Violet Ready skills are communication, self-awareness, networking, career awareness, leadership, intercultural and global fluency, collaboration, internship and job search, professionalism, and reflection. It's important to remember that you can develop a skill in a completely different industry or context, and you'll then use things like job descriptions and knowledge of the industry to identify how to articulate the ways those skills transfer into the next type of position you're looking for. Check out the Become Violet Ready webpage to see definitions of each skill and learn strategies on how you can develop them to gain a competitive advantage in your career. Now back to the show. Representation seems to be a very big motivator behind what you do. How have you fought for better representation in television? And what have been some of those challenges that come with that goal? Totally. Representation is a massive driving force for me, especially self-representation, which is when like people share stories about the identities and the communities that they're a part of instead of having you know, creators who are not a part of it tell the story from an outsider's perspective. So the largest and like the never ending part of that is finding the voices that are out there and trying to keep my finger on the pulse. And that means staying up to date on like the budding writers, reading a ton of materials, watching short films, but also I try to speak to a bunch of people outside of the industry to get an understanding of like what they're enjoying and not enjoying because it can sometimes be a bubble. So trying to find works and creatives to champion 
is really important to me. But one of the biggest challenges I'd say is when you see just how much work there needs to be done, especially for Hollywood to be a level playing ground. McKinsey did this really fascinating report on like the lack of black talent in Hollywood. And I'll never forget the day I read that because it was fascinating and devastating at the same time, right? So for somebody like me, a young black woman in the industry, it was a moment where it was like, whoa, there's so much that needs to be done and that there are so many systems in place that are really working to keep me and people like me out of the industry. So it was a huge challenge and still is, but I find that like one of the healing aspects of it is when I meet other people in the industry who are also really, really passionate about representation and self-representation and it helps to meet them and see all the hard work and all the initiatives that they're coming up with to support creatives and creators of all different backgrounds. It's really inspiring and it, and it helps me reignite that fuel. So I try to encourage others all the time. And by others, I mean myself. I try to encourage myself to try and focus and on the battle if like the war ever feels too big. So trying to find those like little steps of advocacy or activism and what that looks like for me at my level. So watching short films and like seeing who's winning in those little festivals and all of that, like it just all kind of comes together to bring a larger purpose to the conversation of, you know, my, my job and, and what representation as a whole thing can look like on a day-to-day basis. I love it. I love that fighting the battles when the war seems too overwhelming. That's like a, a good mantra to have for sure. So part of your job involves making sure your voice is heard in meetings. That can be intimidating for people who are still in the early stages of their career. What has this experience been like for you? And do you have any advice for people in similar situations? Oh, yeah, this is a challenge that I still experience. I mean, it is really, really intimidating. But I think the intimidation is just a sign of how vital it feels. You know, when I got into the industry, the first reason why I did that was because freshman year, I saw like Moonlight and I saw Get Out. And I saw how those movies changed the conversation around me and the way it excited so many people. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I'm sure for both of those films, there were several people in the room that had to champion it across the finish line into their creation. So I try to remind myself, like, the reason it feels scary is because I'm that passionate about it. So in the beginning, I was super duper anxious about sharing my voice and my opinions. But not to steal from Oprah, I had to ask myself, like, was I being silent or was I being silenced? You know, like, was it, was it coming from within? Was I the one stopping myself and restricting myself from sharing? So I had to take a step back and ask myself, do I have a support system in the room? And that helped me ground myself because it shows me that there are people here who want to hear my opinion. And if you don't feel supported in the room, there's probably like a structural reason why you don't. So it's, it's worth examining like if that space is is fruitful for your thoughts and for your values. So it's it's a long-term conversation and I think you can start small. It doesn't have to be making that one pivotal decision day one or like you walk in and all of a sudden Hollywood changes, but it's about getting used to flexing that ability to speak up for yourself so that when it comes to vocalizing your opinion on projects, 
you've been building up to it. You know, you're not trying to run the marathon without having done the first hundred meter dash. I shouldn't have picked a running metaphor though. I'm not a runner, but yeah, I think it's just all about the reassurance also that you can feel on the other end. There have been times where I have said something and said, damn, I don't think that this was really important to say, but then afterwards leaving it, I saw that I sparked a bit of a chain reaction. One time I shared my opinion and it was like super different from everyone else around me. And I thought, you know, I guess I might as well share it just because I have it. But then I heard some people in the room and even after the meeting come up to me to say, I was thinking the same thing, or I didn't know how to say that, or I wasn't thinking that, but now that you mention it, wait, that actually could be, et cetera, et cetera. It's important to think about that too, that the same way you're sitting there thinking in your head about it, other people could be too. Entry-level roles, it's pretty challenging, but I'm sure that even people who are 10, 20, 30 years into their career still have to remind themselves, like, this is an important thing for me to share. Great advice. Uh, so, so tell us, what's next for you? I, you know, I don't know. I think that everything that has happened for me has been pretty unplanned. I mean, if you told me freshman year that I would end up where I'm at in the industry that I'm at, I don't think I would have believed you at all. So I don't know. I think it's a pretty exciting time for television, like not just in the U.S., but even when you look at it internationally. So I'm really thrilled to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm excited to grow alongside of it, hopefully for, for a really long time. Wonderful. Laura Donna, thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today and share your experiences with the NYU community. This has been Danielle Crystal with another episode of All in a Day's Work. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to our career portal, Handshake, through your NYU homepage. Today's episode was hosted by Danielle Crystal, with episode guest Loredana Andergachu. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Emily Anderson, Haley Garofalo, and Joseph Mercadante. That's all in a day's work. Thanks for listening.